It's the most important moment, perhaps, in the history of pro wrestling. Listen as two friends argue about who screwed who. And no, I'm not talking about that weekend in Miami. It's the Montreal Screwjob this week on Nothing Good. I'm good, man. How about yourself? Doing well. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Um, I'm really interested in this subject. This has been something that you and I have been talking about for a long time. For uh, too long. Uh, a long, long, since we, basically since we've known each other. Since the beginning, the origins of our friendship. This show, uh, with this topic, has been right on our minds. It mm-hmm. always gets brought up. Now, a fair warning to our listener. Now, I'm not saying listeners. I'm just <laughs> saying one person. You know who you are. Mm. What's up, dude? Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. I'll see you on Sunday. Thanks for looking out. No, uh, our listener. Um, that So, as you probably have been able to tell if you've been following the podcast up till now, uh, Doc and I like to talk. But yeah. what you may not know is that Doc and I really like to talk about pro wrestling. (laughs) Amongst other things, probably this is the most talked about subject between the two of us. Yes, but what you may not realize, definitely don't realize, is that we really, really like to talk about pro wrestling history. Mm -hmm. And it's weird to talk about something that happened when we were both teenagers as being history, but it most certainly (laughs) is. Yeah, how about that? Say that out loud. strange. We were teenagers when this event happened, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still so fresh in so many ways. Yes. Uh, That experience, to to put in context, you know, 1997, you know, I was a kid, man. I mean, you were a couple years younger than me, Uh, you know, to be, was like 15 years old. Um, oh, yeah, I was 12 or 13 when that happened. To, 12, I think. To have... Now, full disclosure, I did not uh, watch it live on pay-per-view um, because I didn't get pay-per-views a lot back then. Yeah. Uh, that was like a, hey, mom, hey, dad, can I get this pay-per-view? No. No, I also did not see this live. No. But I did watch the Monday Night Raw afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I did talk to people who had seen it. And I eventually saw it on VHS, actually. Uh, And to watch what happened in the ring, and to be a kid, to not understand, because I didn't understand the inner workings of wrestling at that time. I thought I did. But I had really no no clue what was happening. And I think that was, uh, and as we'll see as we talk about this today, that will unpack itself as the first real, honest, uh, shockwave into even though people had told us what was a work or a fake mm-hmm. or not at that time you don't really you weren't given a, a stark uh, contrast as you were that day in November of 1997. 1997. So, so let's let's start here if you haven't read the title of this <laughs> and didn't pay attention to the intro or the fact that we've hyped it uh since the beginning of the podcast, today we are going to talk about something that is uh, collectively referred to as the Montreal screw job. Mm-hmm. And this happened in professional wrestling in the late 90s, uh, November 9th, 1997, to be exact. 
Uh, in which case, one wrestler who is quite highly regarded by the two of us was, as it appears to be so, uh, legitimately uh, screwed out uh, of his fake yes. pro wrestling his, championship. His fake and I hate using that word, but it, to, to speak to the layman, it, and it's such a, a weird concept to, to wrap your head around, that in an industry that for so long prided itself on being not real, but pretending to be real to its detriment, here is something that was real. So very real. Wrapped in, but the argument was about something that was largely not real, mm-hmm. but it really affected the lives of not only everyone involved and the entire industry to this day, but the lives and viewing habits of the millions of people that would watch wrestling in the years that followed. It's incredibly interesting. And I th- that's why I think for us, we've been wrestling fans and friends a very long time, but yes. for th- it was important that we not just babble uh, incoherently about the first wrestling topic. Because we're good up. at that. We're, and, we, there's, and I hold no promises that that doesn't eventually happen here, but we needed something of substance. So what better than... Quite essentially, the most important moment in wrestling history, yeah. in, at least in my opinion. I mean, honestly, if you want to look at like a like a top three, nothing comes close. No, out like outside of you know, in, uh, Scott Hall showing up on Nitro. We the other two things that you would say, two of the other things that you would say, we're about to talk about as we start to set up the events here. Mm-hmm. for the day but nothing comes close because it's so strange because if you take this the Montreal screw job out of the context of history right yeah and then you put uh and and you mentioned that wrestling is a body of water and then you talk about Austin 316 or the formation of NWO or even Hulkamania and the first WrestleMania these are major bricks not just little pebbles but bricks yeah. you're throwing in foundational bricks shockwaves yes. sent out throughout the entire landscape to be felt for years and years to come absolutely however i would think if you do that then montreal is the equivalent of a landslide entering this body of water and now literally it's not the same shape anymore it's so it's so completely much, different so much so much happened and affected wrestling going forward that i think people overlook a little bit. Yes. You know, they overlook how that changed how the common viewer, kids, because there's a lot of kids watching wrestling, Mm -hmm. how it changed how we looked at things as we started to learn more. You read your dirt sheets. You know, the internet was becoming more readily available for some families. I was fortunate enough that I had access to the internet as a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, AOL, you know, dial up. And being able to look up information very... Badly, very archaically, but I was able to do so. And you start gathering, piecing little bits of information together, you know, and then you start talking to your friends and getting ahead of myself. We're all getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. So I will let you. Let's let's talk the the lead up, the build up to all the build up. But before we do, we have to do our tradition where we talk about. uh, So, Doc, what are we drinking here today? Well, Mr. Brown, we are drinking uh, Golden Drock. Yes, it's a. Dark red triple ale. It's uh, uh, it's it's very strong. It is quite strong. It's Belgian. It's very good. It's almost as Belgian as it gets. Uh, this is true. I had this for the first time many many moons ago in my early twenties, uh, and it was delicious. Didn't have it again until now, t- like ten years later, 
and uh, 10 plus years later, actually. And let it's me, just as good as I remember it. Let me just say that I think this is so Belgian that I have a great aunt uh, who's no longer with us, but she was legit from Belgium. My oh, yeah? great uncle picked her up after World War II and brought her home to the United States. And even she would look at this beer and go, God damn. That's some Belgian ass shit. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you uh, the back of the bottle, which is a really cool bottle, by the way. Oh um, yeah. yeah, it says Golden Drock. This beer is named in honor of the dragon perched atop the belfry in Gent or Ghent, Belgium, a symbol of power and independence. It wouldn't be an episode of Nothing Good if we didn't mispronounce something. I mean, I pretty pretty dire. Pretty sure I just butchered that, but we're gonna go with it anyhow. Well, we apologize to our potential listeners in Belgium. Uh, feel free to not email us and mm. tell us the proper pronunciation. If we cared, we'd Wikipedia it. No angry tweets, please. No, please. No, especially, sir, you know what? Tweet us angry, but only if it's in Belgian. Mm. Hey, we'll look, at the, look at the, the side of this. The, the viewer, you can't see this, but Brew Tank number six. Brew Tank number six. Brew oh, yes, I see it. 2019. I got Brew Tank number eight, 2019. That's wild. So we're we're drinking from two different tanks right now. I didn't. I don't remember this was this wasn't mm. on the bottle. We are before. we are we are suckling from the teats of two different tanks. Mm. And what also makes this beer good, it is a high fermentation, has a secondary fermentation process, and contains three times more malt than lo- in a lager. It is malty. I will tell you flat out, it's malty. Uh, and as as a gentleman who quite enjoys the malt, it is malty. But so yes, golden drock has led us into Montreal Screwjob happens on November 9th, 1997 in mm-hmm. Montreal, Quebec, Canada. But before that, for the dear listener, and here's, let me just also say this before we get going, is that I'm going to try to frame this as if the person listening to this isn't super well-versed in pro wrestling or doesn't know anything about it at all. But listen, there's a real good chance we get inside our baseball here. We grew yeah. up with this, steeped in this. Uh, th- if our lives are a cup, this pro wrestling is the tea bag that dips in and out <laughs> and is saturated. And despite the fact that we try to remove the tea bag and put it on the saucer of life, you just turn around and like, who the hell put this tea bag in here? You're putting it back. It's in. never. It's it, it. You can't. Literally, it's the bug, and you can't escape it. Mm-hmm. So we'll try. I will try to go into my spiel here, Same. but I hold. I hold no promises. Well, I promise nothing on the show. I think no. you agree with this. We promise absolutely nothing. Not even prom- that you have a good time. I was just going to say, all you get to promise is a good time. I, I refuse to do that. Okay. Listen, I'm afraid of commitment. So, <laughs> if I don't tell you that I like you, then I can't possibly let you down. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. So. 1996, 19, So, let's go back to 96. Okay. So, uh, let's look at 1996 as a year. Now, 1996 is a extremely formative year in the history of pro wrestling for two I don't even. You know what? Let's go for the context of this story. Let's add a third moment. Okay. In March of 1996 mm-hmm. is WrestleMania 12. Yes. And the Iron Man match. Oh man. Now yes. I we and I could keep doing this. Well, if we got to do this, we're gonna go to 95 and 94, yeah, right. 93. Let's and talk about 88. In 1984, <laughs> Bret Hart made his debut in Stampede Wrestling. No. Yes. But WrestleMania 12, the main event of WrestleMania 12, is still regarded as one of the greatest matches of all time. Yeah. And it's Bret the Hitman Hart. Remember that name. 
Hmm. And Shawn Michaels. Remember the heartbreak that name? kid, Shawn Michaels. And the storyline up to then is that Bret Hart is a babyface or good guy wrestler. Mm-hmm. And Shawn Michaels, having been a bad guy wrestler for a few years, had just turned to be a good guy or turned babyface, had won the Royal Rumble, the battle royal that guarantees you a shot at WrestleMania in the main event, and was going to go against Bret Hart in the main event in a 60-minute match. The match would have to be 60 minutes at least. As we know now, it goes into overtime, and Shawn Michaels, in the ultimate good guy, in some people's opinion, moment, right. goes into overtime and beats Bret Hart clean. Clean. Clean in the middle of the ring. That happens. The torch has been passed. Shawn Michaels is off to the races after WrestleMania, which is typically regarded in WWF, WWE terms as kind of the end of your season and the start of a new season. Yes. Uh, Storylines reset yes. and you kind of go back. To he's going into the next new fiscal year, if yes, you will, yes, yes. as the WWE champion. And Bret Hart is going to go off and find himself in, in mm-hmm. storyline and in real life, as we would find and, out. And in real life, he went to go film Lonesome Dove. And he would in Lonesome Dove and he would buy a whole lot of new, very white Canadian denim. <laughs> he uh, did. So, so that happens in March of 96. In June of 96, the WWE holds its annual tournament at that time called the King of the Ring. And what the King of the Ring was meant to do was to basically position its next top stars. Mm -hmm. The people in the King of the Ring obviously weren't involved in the World Championship match, which in wrestling is typically regarded as its highest possible point that you can reach. If you are the WWF or WWE World Champion, you are the number one person in your industry. Correct. It's been that way since the 80s, and it still is that way today. Uh, so in, but the King of the Ring tournament said, "Hey, this person is going to be up there soon," and that was their way of kind of announcing it. Now that being said, since the King of the Ring had been uh, introduced on a more regular basis a few years ago, it had a kind of a spotty track record. Bret Hart, who we mentioned again in this whole episode, is basically about he wins the first modern King of the Ring, the first real officially, yes, the, the, the real the, the, the pay per view King of the Ring, right. as we can call it. Owen Hart, his little brother, wins it. That next year, he goes on to challenge Brett for the championship in a in a championship program. Mm-hmm. The year after that is where it starts to get wonky, and we have Mabel. Mabel, that's Mabel right. from Men on a Mission. He goes and he goes to SummerSlam to challenge the champion, and and once again a losing effort. So now you had a definite star in Bret Hart win, an upper card star who didn't really win the title, and Rowan Hart, and then someone who really, as the fans put it at that time, shouldn't have been there in Mabel. So True. you had the whole gambit. Well, in 1996, somebody by the name of Stone Cold Steve Austin (laughs) wins the King of the Ring. And it isn't winning the tournament that was the thing that propelled him. As a matter of fact, what happened afterward was originally planned to be nothing more than uh, just, I guess, a ceremony, right? Uh, Right. Just kind of a a cherry on top of the icing of the cake of winning the tournament. Right. In which um, Steve Austin then cuts up uh, an interview, what we call as a promo. A promo. You'll hear that said Insider baseball. Yeah, gets the on the microphone here. and states his purpose, whatever he wants to say to the mm-hmm. live audience and to the pay-per-view crowd. And he does. And he drops uh, a line in there. that, And there are some organic moments in the history of entertainment, much less wrestling, that just you can't really explain why it happened. And you can't explain why it ca- caught on. But it certainly did. And uh, that night in June of 1996, he says the phrase, you can thump your Bibles and you can quote... What is it? Uh, John 3.16. But Austin 3.16 says, I just whooped your ass. Dude, let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Like, you can look at, you can watch documentaries about the importance of the four horsemen and how organically they came together and how 
them, there was no machine behind them. In no, a sense, there was nothing there. Right. Yeah. And how the fans would start dressing up like them, dressing in little suits and sunglasses, like. They did the it. The original cosplaying of people. They they it, they were cool. They were bad guys. They were awful human beings. Terrible. But they were so cool. You God, wanted to be so like yeah. them, right? So yeah, there was a machine behind Stone Cold, but a simple phrase. When you thump your little Bible, you talk about your Psalms, John 316, Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. The crowd. If I can ask one tiny little thing onto that too, you know what always made it for me? Is the fact that so interviewing him is Doc Hendricks as other wrestling fans who sold it great. Michael Hayes he goes oh come on like and immediately slaps the label that you're not supposed to say that so almost says that automatically immediately makes him an antihero with mm-hmm. just his reaction to that I didn't mean to interrupt but I just oh, no, yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's incredible incredible little details it's it, it's a moment where the next this is this is what happens the next day people have here's spatterings of signs with Austin three sixteen the fans went. That was awesome. They they connected with something so simple, just a simple little phrase. And to this day, twenty some years later, people still love that idea, that phrase, Austin, the wording, Austin three sixteen. People who have never watched that man really wrestle before have no, heard exactly of Austin three sixteen. I am currently wearing. You are uh, an Austin three sixteen shirt. Uh, completely accidentally. Now here's the fun thing. I bought this shirt. Less than two years after he says this, which, by the way, was 23 years ago at the time of recording this. Mm. Okay, that's wild. Uh, and it was too big for me then. Now I'm an old fat guy, and so and <laughs> I fill it out quite nicely. Thank you you're, very you're much. A, you're you're you're, an, you're a, a middle-aged fat guy. We're getting up in there. Yeah, we're getting up in you're the middle old. aging. Then you know, I'm just curious what my crisis is going to be. I just I hope I hope I don't do something like you're gonna buy a bigger lawnmower. Uh, so I don't think I can. <laughs> I think legally, I think that's can't. the point. I don't think legally in the state of you Pennsylvania, need a allowed. professional license. For I, that. And I don't want it. They have those zero turn ones, but here's the fun thing they don't say about zero turn lawnmowers: uh, they don't have cup holders. So my whole favorite thing of doing, which is drink copious amounts of beer while I cut my grass, which is the only legal equivalent to drinking and driving yes. that we can we can have. Yes. I can't do it on a zero turn lawnmower. So at that point, I'm not really interested. And it's supposed like you can get a Roomba for your lawn. Like that takes my. I get two hours a week to be by myself. <laughs> With my headphones and a beer, I'm, you can't take that away from me. But no. we're getting off the point. Yes. So, but here's here's something about perspective that's gonna that's gonna say. So March mm-hmm. in 1996, uh, you know, fun fun times. Iron Man match with Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart. Right. June 1996, Austin 316 drops mm-hmm. the first thing. July 1996, less than a month later. Is bash at the beach. Man, that was so wow. nineteen ninety. You don't ever think about it into the idea. It took less than a month between Austin three sixteen, which you think, which when you think about how WWF en- ended up playing catch up later, mm-hmm. you don't think of that as being before bash at the beach, right? But it was pre bash at the beach and the formation of the NWO, which is the the um, I guess you could say it's the first. If what wrestling would happen in 98 and 99 would be the equivalent of an atomic bomb, the NWO was the first comic bundle of dynamite Mm. in Bash Mm. at the Beach. And they tossed it, and it started the entire concept. So you had March 96, WrestleMania 12, June 96, King of the Ring, Austin 316, and then at Bash at the Beach, 
longtime perennial fan favorite Hulk Hogan, who the the good guy, the good guy, turns bad, joining with Scott Hall, formerly known as Razor Ramon, yeah, in the WWF, and Kevin Nash, formerly known as Diesel, who a year prior were two of the top. Guys, mm-hmm. baby faces. A year prior, Kevin Nash was WWF champion. Yes, he was main eventing, and sh- and 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 um and Razor Ramon was Intercontinental champion. Yeah. A year prior to this, they were the two top champions, and now they're on WCW, an Atlanta-based promotion owned by Ted Turner. Yes, Vince's chief rival. Yes, and they're with Hulk Hogan, Vince's prior to this generation, number one all time, and up to this point, the most successful babyface in the history of wrestling. Like, if, 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 if there was a human being that was synonymous with professional wrestling, it was Hulk at Hogan. the time, yeah. that moment, it was literally just Hulk Hogan. It, it, yeah, everybody else was a distant second. And that's no offense to Ric Flair, or Dusty Rhodes, or Randy or, Savage, or, or, or Gorgeous George, you know, who was... Brutus uh, San Martino. Yeah, but, but Hulk Hogan, people who've never watched a wrestling match in the day in their life, Knew exactly who Hulk Hogan was, and to this day they still kind of do. Right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, but he turns into a bad guy, which he hadn't been in uh, twelve years at that point, right? It's so, weird to think that was not that long of a time. No, no. Well, I mean, it's shorter than it was until then. Now, and uh, I mean, we will do a future episode talking about Hulk Hogan in general. That absolutely has to happen. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but at that point, but it's one of those things that often the noise that is the loudest lasts the longest, right? And so, right. how could anything that happened pre Hulkamania really matter? <laughs> he in was that the Big scheme Bang of wrestling, him. yeah, right? yeah. And what it was, it literally was the Big Bang of wrestling, and I, rock and wrestling. And, and we could talk about how. I mean, yeah, I, I would say if if we talked earlier about uh, Austin three sixteen, the NWO being bricks that got thrown in the pool, and. Uh, Montreal's the landslide that changed the landscape of the pool. I think Hulkamania is the flood that filled the goddamn thing up, right? Yeah, and 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 allow the boom. And I think you you could talk about well, you know, Memphis and and um, Jim Crockett laying the groundwork for that in yeah. general. But regardless, to bring it all back, Hulk Hogan back turns to bad. the subject at hand, and that is that is uh, the summer of '96. Yes, uh, is those three huge moments, um, and as. We progress from the summer of 1996 into what would be pivotal, pivotal wrestling time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, keep in mind, we're in the summer of 96 going into the fall of 96, and Montreal mm. happens in the fall of 97. There's just a few key moments I want to touch upon and get yes. your, and yeah, get yeah, your yeah, thoughts yeah. on here Absolutely. as we gear up into what I would think is the summer before Montreal, which is where the things started to happen. Now... From WrestleMania 12 into Survivor Series one year before, Shawn Michaels is in his reign as the WWF champion, as a top babyface champion that Vince is, this is the next guy I'm going through, but there is absolutely no change in a positive or negative direction between Bret Hart being champion and Shawn Michaels being champion, as we see. Right. You know, like, there is no drastic increase in ratings or decrease no. in ratings. No it just sort of was. It just kind of shifted over. Meanwhile, Bret Hart wasn't on TV. And uh, Akibo, and I want to get your opinion of here, uh, it, it's like the last moment of 96, is the fact that from King of the Ring until, uh, right around SummerSlam 96, until the Survivor Series, the newly crowned up-and-coming star in Stone Cold Steve Austin called out one person mm-hmm. as the way yes. to make it. Now, keep in mind, regardless yes, of the yes, fact yes. that we as history could see that Austin 316 was clearly always destined to be a babyface movement. 
right? And, and, and rebellious baby face. Yes. But at the time, if you were on TV and you swore and you did whatever you wanted to do, you weren't a good guy. You, you were, were a, a bad, bad guy. guy. You were a heel. You were a terrible human being. And so they weren't ready to have Steve Austin wrestle for the WWF Championship. So who is the other really top good guy left now that Diesel and Razor Ramon and nobody else is left in the thing? Why it would be... Right, the hitman heart. The hitman himself. Leaning until, and I want to know of you, and, I, and this is one of those things we've never really talked about, but mm-hmm. I, I know we've both have seen this. Mm-hmm. The Mike, the Bret Hart, Steve Austin match at Survivor Series 96. Let me, okay, so we're going to kind of go way out here, but. Who gives a shit? Right? <laughs> right? No, the one person listening. Listen, listener, fuck you. <laughs> he doesn't really mean that. You don't know me. Yeah. Unless you do directly know me, in which then, case, then you know how I if that was real or not. But if if you don't really know me, then I say, fuck you. But keep going. Survivor Series 96. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Nothing good where I tell the listeners, fuck you. <laughs> so anyhow, okay. uh, I've, I am guilty of have, have, having watched that match probably a dozen times easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as much as I really enjoy WrestleMania 13... And Brett and, and Austin's match, their uh, I quit ma- submission match rather. Oh, so uh, good. I which we'll get to. Feel like their Survivor Series match is such an un- truly underrated encounter. It was so good. I Madison w- Square Garden, folks. We're talking MSG. The crowd's hot. They this is Bret Hart's first match back since losing the title at WrestleMania 12. This is a big. Deal. Absolutely. And I, first of all, I'm going to go on a limb and call it the greatest non Survivor Series match to ever happen at Survivor Series. It's ironic that it has something to do with Bret Hart. Yeah. Which there's a theme here that, that Bret Hart's one of the greatest of all time. We, we, and which we will undoubtedly have to touch upon as we keep going in this episode. But yes. uh, <clears throat> there's, there's something in particular. Yeah. And I don't have it in my notes, but as I'm reliving the match, watching you think about it again, um, there is one particular thing I want to just kind of point out to you mm-hmm. that at some point in that match obviously close to the finish um Brett kicks out of the stunner oh he get, I was gonna bring he gets a stone cold now the stone cold stunner uh is stone cold Steve Austin's finisher it's yeah. his finishing maneuver it's the guy it's the move that puts the person down for three seconds one two three the match is over and Bret Hart and that just tells you that the stunner was not the move yet, right? Because mm-hmm. he he finished tried to finish it with the million dollar dream, which was sort of still his finish. He, he was still it, it was almost like um, it's like having a new hit that everyone loves. So you so you do that, but you end with the first song that everyone loves, mm-hmm. like, like when you're playing live. Right? But yeah, he he dropped them with the stunner, and and Brett kicked out, which. Was a big deal, but not really a no, big d- deal. Did he kick? No, he put the foot on the ropes, right? It was the foot on the ropes. Was it the foot yeah, on the Yeah, it was the foot on the ropes. But here's... Yeah, it was a foot okay. on the ropes because okay. uh, because he drops him by the ropes and Brett protects the move to the thing. Mm. But that's... And I just want to point mm. this out to you. That's the last time anybody will kick out of the stunner for five years. For five years. <laughs> that's, that's the last time that the stunner <laughs> doesn't end the match. That's really until cool. Until WrestleMania 17. Well, we all know who kicked out of that. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, That's a conversation for another yeah, day, folks. There's, there's, yeah, I drew the line right there. Right there. No one gets out of it for four and a half years. Four and That's a half still years. still a long time. Nobody drops that damn thing. Um, but yeah, so the match is spectacular. And there's a, a couple little things about that match that I love. First of all, pre-neck you know, injury, Steve Austin was spectacular. Oh, my God. 
And I, I know Stone Cold in interviews has said, has, has stated that it actually kind of was not a good thing that he get injured, but it was a good thing that it forced him to change his style because he then became a brawling good guy, mm-hmm. you know, and that people could get behind that more. It was more ass kicker than it was before. And he was still a high energy. And I think that was always, and to this day, if Austin walks in the ring, it's always going to be that thing. Yeah, but, but he was, if, for fans that only know the main event, babyface Stone Cold Steve Austin, Homeboy was a technical wrestler. He could work and he could, and, and he and and was quick. Style. Steve Austin was so fast. Like, you don't realize how fast he actually was. When he bumped around for the baby, bumped around, oh, getting, bump feed. B- yeah. getting, you know, knocked around the ring by the good guy, he could get bumped like no one's business. And it's a shame because I, you know, I'm so used to you figure I watched more of him as the main event, Steve Austin, really, because mm-hmm. I mean, I watched WCW when I was a kid, but not very much. And I barely remember a lot of the wrestlers that I watched because I was pretty young and I was a WWF kid. Uh, but but when Austin came in and he was cutting his teeth as the ringmaster and he was becoming Stone Cold Steve Austin and before, you know, the horrible injury he had, my man was great on his feet. There's oh. actually interesting sidebar about Steve Austin. This has nothing to do with Montreal, but I always think about this when it comes to Steve Excuse Austin. Uh, Mick Foley's first book. Uh, yeah. Foley is good. He talks... No, that, that, is that the first one? Was it Have a Nice Day? Have a Nice Day was the first one. Yeah. Whoops. It's okay, Mick. Mick, if you're listening, <laughs> Listen. you can come to my house and tongue kiss my wife. But if you're not listening and this is somebody else, fuck you. But keep going. <laughs> So anyhow, uh, and Have a Nice Day, which is an excellent read. If you're a wrestling fan, please read that book. It's so good. Mm -hmm. Um, He talks about his time in Texas. And he was, because Austin's trained with the Von Erics? Yes. Well, Chris Adams. Chris Adams. I'm sorry, Chris Adams. You're right. Okay. So he's watching like some of the trainees, some of the green guys do their thing and doing their drills. And I, I, I remember reading this passage. And, and Mick's talking about how he's looking at all the guys, you know, kind of sizing them up, seeing who's good, who's not. And he goes, this is one kid who just looks better than everybody. He's just got it. His his footwork was so good. And he's moving around. He knows exactly where he is and where he needs to be. And that was Steve Austin before he was Steve Austin. And that, that to me is such it a tells cool you, little he, thing. The little, little drips and drops, right? I just, dude was so good. Anyhow. I mean, there's a lot of wrestlers that uh, that will come up and when we, when we get to... I'm pretty sure we'll avoid talking about what's happening now in wrestling just because there's so much juicy shit when we're talking about what was. And stuff like that is now, exactly what we're talking about. Can we talk about how Austin 316, which led to him kind of challenging Bret Hart, because that got him over to the point where, like, let's do this. All right, now it's like, oh yeah, traction. Can we talk about how Austin 316 happens? NWO becomes a thing. Reality mm-hmm. wrestling is really becoming a thing it's start, here. They're sprinkling the reality thing over wrestling. Yes. If Austin 316 hadn't happened in the WWF, him saying that, you know, whipped your ass. Ass is a big deal back then. For sure. Say that. Pay-per-view or not, it's a big deal on WWF TV. You know, mostly for children, really, in 90, early 96. For him to, to to do that, to say these words, to get the reaction, to get the machine that is the WWF behind him, yeah. to then Vince going, hmm, we should push the envelope more. 
for, for everything to kind of line up that way for him to then start hunting Bret Hart, taunting Bret Hart, attacking Bret Hart, pushing Bret Hart, turning Bret Hart heel, right? If Austin hadn't said those words, if it hadn't occurred to him to say that in that moment. We wouldn't be having this podcast about this would, thing right now. Now, would Austin have gotten over? I feel confident that he would have Absolutely. gotten over, but not the same Well, way. the train, the uh, when you think about when, when did the train leave the station? For the Bret Hart, Montreal, Vince McMahon, that whole thing. When it does it cross the point of no return to where historically we can say, you know, let's revisit this at the end of the episode. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Let's, sorry. let's do that because, because once we here. talk about all of it, we'll say, where is the point where it goes past the point of no return? <laughs> we're still, where if, listen, folks, we're if, half hour in and we're still. We're, we're not, we're not even, <laughs> we're, we're not even a fifth of the way through okay. this. So yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll try our best to get to there. But we'll, we'll talk about that as we get going on. Try to pinpoint where history becomes in, um, irrevocable, right? Okay. So. Austin and Bret Hart meet at Survivor Series 96. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also, just a quick little sidebar, and I only want to literally sidebar about this. But I'll that's try. the point where um, in your main event that night isn't Bret Hart versus Steve Austin. It's Shawn Michaels versus Psycho Sid that's for right. the WWE Championship. Right. And Shawn Michaels, now Madison Square Garden, uh, even though the WWE and WWF is based out of Connecticut, mm-hmm. it largely considers New York City. It's called New York amongst wrestlers. It's considered the Northeast New York Territory. And when you're talking about what's the central hub of Manhattan and New York City, it's Madison Square Garden. Absolutely. And that is considered the home hub for Vince McMahon and the WWF, WWE. And if you are, uh, that it was for so long the barometer as to what makes you a top star, babyface or heel, is the reaction you get. And on this night, Survivor Series is being held in Madison Square Garden. And Shawn Michaels, your babyface, good guy champion, is going up against Psycho Sid, your heel, who's bigger. Faster, you know, well, not faster, but bigger, stronger, and meaner mm-hmm. than Shawn Michaels, and has personally beaten more up psychoer, more psychoer, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, somewhere on the scale of psychotic, more or less, and has put hands on Shawn Michaels' old ass mentor, Jose Lothario. <laughs> he did, didn't he? He did. He puts hands just to kind of lock in the fact that he's the bad guy, and Shawn Michaels is the plucky good guy. And they come out for the main event match, and wouldn't you know it, but the New York crowd in 1996. Booze the shit out of Shawn Michaels. They kind of shat on him a little they bit. They absolutely wet fart shat all over Shawn Michaels. And I, here's the thing. And they cheer Psycho Sid, which I don't want to think in my mind was that Sid was over as a baby <laughs> face. He wasn't. It's just that they didn't want Shawn. The New York crowd historically will tell you what they want, and that's so that 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 Chicago too. If you can get over in New York, you can pretty much get over anywhere. You can make it here. You can make it anywhere, right? Yeah, and yeah. but it's, it's definitely true about wrestling. And I think especially you just had Sean, uh, you just had Bret Hart and Steve Austin tear the goddamn house down in front of you, mm-hmm. and letting you know what you want out of a baby face and heel. Mm-hmm. You don't know which one you want to be baby face or heel, but you know that one of these guys is one of those things, and another one of these guys is another, and then your main event has nothing in common with that match. Right. And so they shat all over it. All right? So the, And the title changes hand, and Shawn Michaels loses the WWF Championship to Psycho Sid. Pinning that... And he was booed, leaving, entering the building, and it was cheered when he loses. This baby face that they put over Bret Hart in his triumphant 65-minute performance literally six months before. So, 
eight months, I think it's the distance between March and there. So that takes us to our next last little uh, two thirds of our pre the summer of 97, which is the Royal Rumble 97 mm. leading in the WrestleMania. And Royal Rumble 97 sees, let's start with a, with a lighter fare first, Shawn Michaels, and they did it in his hometown. In front of 40,000 people, which is good for them to draw that in 97. Right. Oh, they yeah. were getting their shit kicked out of them, which we'll touch upon here in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, he regains the WWF Championship from Psycho Sid. But the main event, the Royal Rumble match, 30 men. The finish sees uh, Bret Hart toss Stone Cold Steve Austin over the top row. <laughs> so terrible. Then, I'm still hot about it oh, to this day. Oh, oh, man. yeah, We're about to vent. So everyone get ready. Your T minus 45 seconds for this thing fucking getting lit. He tosses Stone Cold Steve over over the top, uh, Steve Austin over over the top, eliminating him. Then proceeds to dump the rest of the sons of bitches over the top and wins the Royal Rumble. But the referees were so concerned with what was going on that they don't see Steve Austin originally get eliminated <laughs> or slide back in, and he dumps Brett over yes. and is declared the winner Yo. of the Royal Rumble. Which, in a storyline sense, absolutely, if you are a Bret Hart fan, as both of us were at that uh. time. Just fucking pissed you straight off. I can't even express to you how pissed, how genuinely like, motherfucker. Yes. How, look, I I have no qualms. I have no shame. Bret Hart is my favorite wrestler of all time. Mm -hmm. He still is. Mm -hmm. He's actually more so now that I'm older and go look back at his older stuff that he's doing and how much better he is than a lot of people are now and how he was doing it back in the 90s. Like it was nothing. Mm-mm. Like it was another day at the office. Like it, he made it look. He made being the best look easy. Right. So yeah. I was a mark for Bret Hart than I still am now. Uh, and being a kid, being a kid, being fourteen. Yeah. Uh, and just watching my favorite wrestler just get screwed by Steve Austin again, being taunted again. I was hot about it, mm-hmm. and that was the best part. That's that's good. That's the reaction that they want. They want you to be mad at the bad guy, Steve Austin. I was mad. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but there, there's a little context here. I'm not going to go too far into it, but there's, you know, leading up to all of this. Now we get to the, the, the true gist of what we're saying. And now we're getting out of wrestling history into the wrestling personality. So, according to Bret Hart himself, and a few other people in the know. Uh, so as we, as dear listener, one person, as I'm sure, fuck you, as I'm sure you have uh, heard, I'm sure you're a nice person. Yeah, if you, yeah at least your mom thinks so. Mm. But uh, that wrestling is what it is, right? It's predetermined and it's a show of athleticism and it is what it is. Correct. So um, both parties agreed upon, uh, or not both parties, but Vince McMahon decided in his tower that Shawn Michaels would beat Bret Hart at WrestleMania 12. Right. But then seeing the lay of the land work out that it was inferred that that would also be the rematch at WrestleMania 13, mm-hmm. leading to a Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels rematch yes. that would presumably see Bret Hart regain his title to set us up for future money made down the line. Because regardless of the fact that Bret Hart was getting cheered or not getting cheered, and Shawn Michaels was not getting cheered or getting cheered, that both guys work very well together. Yeah. And always man, have. As much as they don't like each other or and, didn't like and each and other. And always draws money. Right? Peanut butter so, and jelly, man. So keep them apart until you absolutely can maximize the profit for it, and then you put them together, and then you go. Which Vince would repeat with Steve Austin and The Rock mm-hmm. uh, years at this, because that formula absolutely works. But 
And here you are, as Shawn Michaels regains the WWF Championship, and here you are with the, the concept that it's almost a deadlock that Bret Hart's going to win the Royal Rumble and draw a straight line to Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Shawn mm-hmm. Michaels has got some more edge on him now. Bret Hart has got some more edge on him now. Where does the chips fall? Who are the people going to choose at WrestleMania 13? Except that here's your first little hurdle. And, and, and in hindsight, being 2020, Bret Hart doesn't win the Royal Rumble. Right. Steve Austin wins the Royal Rumble. Now, now as, as we can all say, for a heel, a heel mm-hmm. to fucking do that to mm-hmm. the top one or two babyface in yes. the company is so good. Mm-hmm. You, oh, and that's great. And, and anyone who still thought of Steve Austin as a heel at that time, absolutely was like, oh, that guy. Because the thing, keep, keep in mind, right, that uh, that he, he was a heel going into Survivor Series and has been a heel since his, his Austin 316 promo. But it's one of those first, and it's one of the first moments for me. Maybe Roddy Piper's the only other person I can think of that I've ever done this previous in my life. That you see a heel do a thing, and you're mad at them, but you go, like, ah, but, yeah, that was really good. That actually. was fucking good, though. That was like, smart. Ah, uh, it's it, it's Brett, though. So fuck you, but, yeah, but yeah, seriously, though, you still had to choose Brett, but you had to you're respect. Like, That's dastardly shit. And now he's going to Royal Rumble, and so, but it's but in retrospect now, in in personal politics thing, it starts to say that maybe. Maybe not just so much this relationship here with a bit of Bret Hart, but the narrative in wrestling is starting to not be so damn linear, mm-hmm. right? Guy, Steve Austin made that ha- start. He, exactly. he was that guy. He was the catalyst. He's, he's, in the, he's WWF. the monkey wrench, right? In the WWF, and and so here we are, and now perhaps reality based TV and real life isn't. I'm going to A and then B and then C. You go to do errands and something comes yeah. up and that's what it is. You go to A.1, A.2, then to B. And now instead of being thought of uh, quarterly uh, storylines, the, the Royal Rumble will set up WrestleMania, which will set up SummerSlam, or King of the Ring and SummerSlam, which will set up Survivor Series, which will set up the Royal Rumble. Now we're going week to week, month to month. And now we're on a, a, a straight through to WrestleMania 13. Mm. Shawn Michaels is WWF champion, and we get to February of 2013. Uh, not 2013. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Of 1997. <laughs> yeah. 2013. What the hell even happened in 2013? <laughs> Nothing important. God, ignore that. Fuck you. Ignore that. So, uh, yeah. Shawn Michaels loses his smile. Not the first time. No. Mm. And it wouldn't be the last. No. But what we mean by that is, if you know, you know, but if you didn't know, Shawn Michaels legitimately, in in an industry that is uh, scripted performance to a certain extent, real athleticism, real politics, but scripted performance, decided that he wasn't happy. Now, whether or not this is legitimate... (laughs) I can't with the straight face. I mean, this this. is not... I, this, is re- this really happened, He's folks. the most powerful person in the industry at this point, in, on paper at least, yes. right? I mean, even though WWF was not as one of the few times in history that it wasn't the most popular wrestling organization in the world, he was still the champion. So history regards him as the most popular performer, or the number one guy in the industry at that time, and he's sad. So he's going to go home, and he's going to give up the belt. He, was it the knee injury? And he lost a smile. He said he's he was hurt it? his knee, and then he but he also lost a smile. But his knees hurt, so he couldn't really wrestle. He, but it's more important it that was. he's sad. Yeah, he. It he, wasn't yeah. bad because motherfucker interfered like six weeks later in a match. That's the, it's not the point. It's not the point. Yeah. But it's largely considered that he did this so he wouldn't have to lose to Bret Hart at WrestleMania. There, there's the following. Ooh, month. There's so much. 
There's so much meat on this bone, and we're having an order to not spend six hours on this, Look, so we can get to the good shit. This isn't even the good shit, and we feel passionate about <laughs> this it. This is because because it's bullshit. <laughs> like oh, it's complete like, bullshit. Like look. I don't. This is not a shit on Shawn Michaels podcast. It's gonna be. It's it's gonna end <laughs> up. But I wanna I wanna preface this with saying that uh, as much as I don't think Shawn Michaels then was a particularly great person. No. Uh, but goddamn, dude was one of the greatest wrestlers I think I've ever seen in my life. He still and is. He still. I mean, he just. He's amazing to watch. Uh, Shawn Michaels in 96, 97 is as good as anybody could ever be. Yeah. So is he the best? I don't know, but he's in top three. I mean, can we be honest with ourselves? Really? There's really, there's only so many people that you could legitimately watch in the ring and say on a short list, five guys, five guys that are the best in the ring ever. Would Shawn Michaels not be on that list? I mean, if someone says not, they're either just biased and they just don't want to admit it. Mm -hmm. But listen, if, if, when Ric Flair says he's the greatest I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, God damn it, he's the greatest anybody's ever because seen. Because that's most people's greatest I've ever seen, saying that he's the greatest yeah. I've ever seen. Like, yeah. Kurt Angle's amazing. Ric Flair was great. Bret Hart's amazing. Uh, you know. Then you start get. I feel like after you get, just in my opinion, and I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, inside baseball too much here. Mm-hmm. But you, I think anyone with a freaking brain puts Bret Hart, Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels in the top three in-ring guys of all time. It's just... And other five, you're, then you can get into the weeds and say, do you say Kurt Angle? Do you say uh, AJ Styles? Right. Daniel Bryan. Guys right. like that, right? You start sprinkling Japanese guys on top of there, which we can go into in a whole separate thing. One day we should just argue about something pointlessly, right? And then see if we can actually Kenny hammer Omega. that. We <clears throat> We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that. We know it, uh, once we build up a fan base, we'll lose them. <laughs> once by we build up a fan base, of four people. Yeah, all four people will quit when we talk about Kenny Omega. Many of but, which I probably lived with at one point. <laughs> <laughs> but so yes, 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 yes. Back on the idea, Shawn Michaels loses his smile. Yeah, and now uh, the WWF title is going to be put up in the middle of a random pay per view in February. And an over-the-top battle royal, which is Bret Hart win it one night and then lose it the very next night. Because for some strange reason, we can't have Bret Hart and Brett Steve Austin. Can't, yeah. Yeah. Be, which, uh, which we're going to get to. In retrospect, do you think Vince would have put that? If he would have known what would happen at WrestleMania and how well it was about to work. Mm-hmm. Do you think he would have made that for the belt? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, 1,000%. I, I agree. But he didn't know. so he couldn't, None of us could have known. Nobody could have known. So... This is this is the last thing I want to touch upon before we get into the summer of 97 and when the shit gets going in here. And that is WrestleMania 13. Wait, can we talk, please, just for a, for a moment Anything. about the night after that pay-per-view. Oh, okay, yes. But I was I was going to I was going to lead you into that with WrestleMania 13 because before 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 you do, let me set let me let me let me let me softball this up. So, Dear one single listener, fuck you. There are a few moments as you get to know your friends. You know there are moments in life and in uh, when they have experiences that stick with them because sometimes, let's say his friend went to the service or a friend was an athlete that you can look in their eyes and you can see that the sparkle of that thing might still be there. <laughs> okay. 
right. And <laughs> my dear friends, Doc here, sitting in front of me, feels that way about the promo that Bret Hart cuts the night after that fatal four-way leading into WrestleMania 13. Now, Herb, the floor is yours. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyhow, uh, so the match is going on. Bret's going to win. And if I recall correctly, because, man, I have not seen that match in a long time. Yeah. But the, the, the deal was Undertaker and Steve Austin both interfered in this match, mm-hmm. right? Because Steve Austin really wanted Bret to be champ. He wanted to fight Bret Hart at WrestleMania. I mean, it was locked in at that point. They announced before the match that it was going to be Psycho Sid versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania and Steve Austin versus Bret Hart yeah. at WrestleMania. So Austin really wanted Bret to be champion still. Yes. So he entered... I, I, I don't know who interfered, interfered first, but I want to believe that Austin interfered first because maybe Sid was going to win. And Austin maybe uh, kept Sid from getting out of the cage or something. But I remember actively... Was the other way around? It was the other way around. Undertaker was the first one to, okay. to appear. But I remember, I want to remember, was it Brett? Was the, did Undertaker slam the cage on Brett, or did he hit him with a chair? It was one or the chair. other. Hit him with a chair. Either way, Undertaker cost Brett the match. Austin tried to keep Brett with the belt. Didn't work. Match is over. Brett's no longer champion. All right. Now, to put this in perspective, is <clears throat> I'm a, a teenager here. Back yep. in those days, I recorded Monday Night Raw and WCW Nitro. Mm-hmm. I would pause record when I felt like the match or the segment wasn't very interesting and switch to the other show and hit record. I have probably like five or six tapes still of my custom Raw and Nitro. proper Monday Night War mixes. Yeah. yeah. I have this on tape somewhere, this promo. So, the match is over. And back in those days, and I wish they still did this more often, the match is over and then... An announcer would come and interview the wrestler who won or lost or whatever the storyline needed to happen, to progress the story, rather. Vince McMahon, who, unless you knew, with, like, you know, wrestling magazines or early internet forums or, you know, you didn't really know for sure. You just knew Vince, as a kid especially. Now, 20-some-year-olds, 30-some-year-olds probably had a... If you were a big enough fan by that point, you probably kind of knew a little bit more. Yeah. But... You and I, in our whole generation, teenage kids, we just knew Vince McMahon was an announcer. Yes. Vince gets in the ring and starts to interview Brett, who's no longer champion, who just got effectively screwed out of the title. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Brett, I'm Brett, I'm sure you're really frustrated about uh, what happened tonight. Something to Vinceism. Now, just to jump in here, yes. up until this very <laughs> moment, folks. From the moment Brett became a good guy in 1989 or 90, uh, up until this moment, Bret Hart had been nothing but straight up John Wayne style, not Hulk Hogan level of kissing babies, baby face, but I mean uh, proper. Mm-hmm. Like conducted himself as if what a professional athlete of the highest level should conduct himself. Yes. Until Vince McMahon ask that and Kayfabe asks him the dumbest fucking question in history. <laughs> in all of his Bret Hart, history. I'm sure you're frustrated about what just happened. Dude, imagine you're in that situation and you can't help but feel for Brett a little bit unless you're the American fan base. <clears throat> but you have to... We'll I'm, get there. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, you just lost the heavyweight title. You just won the title for the fourth time. You just lost it, <laughs> not by your own design, 
and some guy gets in the ring with a microphone in front of millions on TV and thousands in the arena and goes, I bet you're frustrated, buddy. How does that feel? How does that feel there, man? That's walking into your house after a long day at work and like eight guys are having sex with your wife. And then the ninth guy comes over and he's like, oh, man. Sucks to be you, yeah. huh? Anyway, I'm going to get in line. Yeah. And he takes a number at the ticket counter. Jeez. So That's how it feels. Now, I don't know how it feels. Fuck you. Keep going. So with that being said, what follows is in my mind, and, and I truly believe this, and I will take this to my dying days, the single, the most important promo in all of wrestling history. And I really mean that. And I thought about it, and I went back and revisited it. Revisited it. I I, I watched it recently yeah. on YouTube, on the YouTube, um, and got really, really caught up in that moment because Brett turns to Vince, looks him dead in the eyes, shoves him on his ass, snatches the mic, shoves him on his ass, and says, "Frustrated isn't a goddamn word for it." Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, let's pump the brakes right here. This is this is this is live television. This is USA. This is cable, but it ain't real cable. It's not cable. It's not HBO here. No, you know this is like it's, we're it, showing butts and titties on the cable. It's, it's still basic cable. It's still yeah. This is USA. He says frustrated isn't a goddamn word for it. This is bullshit. And folks, none of this is bleeped. They didn't bleep it. None of it. Like this is this really happened. And then he turns and proceeds to cut this scathing promo. So good. He talks about how you screwed me. First of all, as a kid, what do you mean you screwed me? What, what does he have an to do with it? Yeah. Well, then the veil is starting to get pulled from our eyes here. You screwed me. Gorilla Monsoon screwed me. Uh, Steve Austin screwed me. Or Undertaker screwed me. And one of the best lines in any, any Bret Hart promo ever. And I'm skipping some things he said. He turns and says... Everybody in that goddamn locker room knows that I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. The crowd pops for that, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, there's some booze, but they pop for that. Oh, they're biting on this. And right then he now. turns yeah. and says, and if you don't like it, tough shit. Yeah. I mean, he ain't lying. But I will tell you why I think this promo is so important. Please. Because a lot of people likes to like like to think that Montreal invented Mr. McMahon, the character. It was that promo that invented Mr. McMahon because I, yeah. it was the seed right there. Montreal Montreal is uh, the bat hitting the ball on Vince being more than just an announcer that pretends that he's not in charge of everything. But this promo takes the ball out of the case and puts it on the tee. Look. You know what I mean, and and le- and then it has everyone look over here for a little while, as it happens. It, Absolutely, it, that promo, and I really urge anybody to just watch it. If you're if you've never seen it, if you're a younger fan, if you just you just never can't, you haven't even heard of it before. I'm telling you to watch that happen. To watch your favorite wrestler of all time, white meat baby face Bret Hart, mm. start swearing on live television on you like that. And you're just, I'm sitting, I remember, I remember going like, what? Oh, yeah. I watched it back like 20 times where I went to bed that night because I couldn't believe my ears. Uh, so, and so, it made it feel real. It made it feel well, real. Well, yeah, absolutely. So at that point in 97, you know, uh, I was 12 years old and I knew, but I didn't know, but I knew. You knew. But I didn't know. 
right? I, I wasn't smartened up to the level that I, I would be a year later, much less here we are in 2021. But I used to watch the Monday Night Wars, and uh, on great occasion, uh, my mom or my stepdad would watch it with me, right? And on that particular night, now keep in mind that during that time from 96, 97, I think you're going to Mom, can I order this pay-per-view? No. <laughs> no. Mom, can I order this pay-per-view? No. I didn't see... There's only one pay-per-view in 96 I saw live as it happened, and that was Bash at the Beach. Mm. Uh, that's just because... Of all the ones you could have. Uh, oh, because my mom had a super huge crush on Kevin Nash. And still to this day does. Kevin Nash, if you're watching uh, or listening, uh, my mom would love for you to call her. <laughs> Uh, but if you're not Kevin Ash, don't call my mom. Fuck you. <laughs> but okay. uh, on this night, I was watching that match with my mom mm-hmm. because she and I used to go back and forth, especially during like 97, back and forth. Back and forth between Raw and Nitro, as most people did. Of course. One hints a commercial, what do you do? You go, See what's yeah, on the other one. You go to TNT. And then if TNT is commercial, you go back to USA mm-hmm. and you're going on it. Uh, and the end of this show, we stop. And when Brett shoves Vince and starts to get frustrated and here's here's what's great about this and in retrospect it all clears up they don't do a close up on Brent the way they would do today if they if they shot that angle exactly today you'd be the entire screen would be filled with yeah, Brent's face you're right. but they kept the distance from Brent right as if to keep that idea of what's going to happen because also to paint the picture they're disassembling the cage Mm-hmm. While this is happening, which is you didn't never see, you never saw them actually take the cage down. And then Vince is in there with that suede raw jacket, and asked the dumbest fucking the question. Black and red jacket. Um, yeah, which I, if someone handed that to me today, oh my god, I'd wear the shit out of that <laughs> thing. I think it would be in a fucking gold frame in my house. But I actually have a wall set up for it right behind you, dog. One day I'll get a raw suede jacket. But when <laughs> when Brett starts going, I remember my mother. Like, and my mom is, as uh, anyone who can ever possibly know her, and if you're a listener, you probably don't. Hopefully you don't. Why do you know my mom? Fuck you. But uh, (laughs) she's not the world's... she wears her heart on her sleeve and is no makes no minces about foul language or anything and stuff like that. I can confirm this. Yes, yes. My, my mom can swear like uh, like a sailor. No, like an entire naval fleet sometimes. <laughs> uh, the woman had her mouth on her hand over her her hands over her mouth rather uh, during this promo. I remember distinctly that Brett. I mean, yeah, for sure. Uh, we didn't talk about it. Oh no, we will. We I just realized we didn't. Well, well, we we came in in the middle of a segment. Note to Noah: take this out. <laughs> Thank you. So, so she's reacting that way, and I remember Brett was so emotional the way he's saying that as a twelve-year-old kid. I just and I love Brett Hart so much that I started. I remember getting like misty-eyed. That I felt so bad for him. Like, how did they... They screwed him. Because he wasn't lying. He wasn't. And it was so real and so honest. And I think that last... With the exception of any wrestling tragedy that happened. Or just being in the the building when a huge pop happened. That's one of the last times that wrestling felt like viscerally real. At that moment when he shoves him down. Bret Hart does not oftentimes get the credit he truly deserves for being such a pivotal character in what the Edge Era became. Because without him, without that shove, without Montreal, without his feud with Austin, I mean, 
what is the attitude era? Because Brett got Austin to a point where he was taken 100%. so seriously. Oh, 100%. And uh, as we're about to talk about, as soon as we leave the very next event, uh, we're off and running. In which case, most people don't look at the attitude era as truly beginning until after the events of what we're trying to talk about today. Mm-hmm. But as you realize, I think it began for in the WWF side. Uh, if it if it didn't begin when Goldust came in and started that sprinkling, and, and if that's it like what ninety five ninety five yeah, and if it didn't begin with Austin three sixteen, my God, if those two are sued, didn't do it. This was the start. This promo to lead us up into WrestleMania thirteen. Fun fact, and this, I'll make it quick. Uh, according to Bret Hart, yeah, they were they were supposed to bleep all that, and they just didn't do it. That's why he felt so comfortable with cutting that promo because he was assured, by Kevin Dunn, whoever, that when he would cut the promo, they would make sure to bleep every single thing, and then they just didn't do it, or they messed up, something happened. Well, you know what? I would, I, I would chalk this just as having no, no horse in this race here. Vince is out there, so he's not back there yelling at anybody. There is mm. no Triple H at this time. You're number two and three back there, besides Kevin Dunn, Pritchard. or Pritchard and Pat Patterson. Mm-hmm. Pat Patterson doesn't have a headset on. Pat Patterson doesn't. He's probably in a crowd watching all this. Yeah. And we know from being fans of uh, something to wrestle with and seeing as Bruce Pritchard. Shout out. Yes, shout out to a, a great podcast. Probably the the, the godfather of podcasts. One thousand percent easily. Uh, when something good happens in front of you, <coughs> you aren't working anymore. You're watching. And so when that happens, I would almost be 100. I would bet one of my nuts, not both of them, but yeah, you get the one I'm not super fond of. The right one, correct? Uh, We'll we'll see. We'll see. Depends depends on what day it is and what (laughs) shorts am I wearing. Um, That he that he and Dunn just simply got lost watching what was happening, and before you realize it, uh, you're at the overrun. And nobody believed anything, but it was better that way. It was and so as good. As the theme of a lot of this is going to be, is if it had happened any other way, it wouldn't have happened. Nothing that followed it would have happened that Agreed. way. Agreed. Excuse me. So, takes us to WrestleMania 13. And I think this is a great opportunity to talk about that during the course of this large babbling first hour, we have switched beers. Now, uh, Doc, what are we drinking now? <clears throat> uh, Firestone, Firestone Mind Haze. IPA from Firestone Walker, a brewing company. It is a brewing. One would hope that a beer is made by a brewing company. <laughs> it says uh, "Beer Before Glory." Uh, it's really good. Um, it is good. It's crisp. Know, but here's the thing with this: it's good, and I appreciate you sharing. Um, but I don't have an opinion on it. Like it's it's just right in the middle of the road for me. So uh, there's a big fad. As we record this in 2021, in the summer, uh, hazy IPAs are huge right now. And I think that's because IPAs, went with, with the explosion over the last few years of craft beer, and IPAs being a great way to put flavor in something without having to make a commitment to, oh, this tastes like peppers, or, mm-hmm. or this is this is super malty. I just, you just call it IPA, make it hoppy, and then it'll have its character. But hazy IPA says, let's take the crisp of an IPA in a craft setting, but let's let's take back that hoppiness mm. a little bit now that's great because my wife is a, an example of someone who likes beer does not like super hoppy beer right uh so but i can hand her an, a hazy ipa and that's she gets 
I like IPAs. <laughs> and then she drinks it, and you're like, she's like, oh, this is good. Yeah, because I, hazy IPAs are meant to be juicier and not lower. That being said, as, some, as beer drinkers, they lack character. Yeah, it lacks it's, a lot it's, of character. Like I said, it's middle of the road. It's not one thing. It's just, I mean, it's not bad. It's good. I went around the block to tell you how to get to where you were going. But yeah, it's, it just doesn't have a lot of character. It, but it's, it's but, compared, but it is crisp. It is crisp. And compared to the Golden Drock, which was delicious. <clears throat> so good. It's malty, but it's it's heavy. It's a thick, it's almost syrupy. The bottle looks like a, a high-end bottle of maple syrup. It does. You that's know? a really good way to put it. Yeah. It does. And you're like, oh man, that's a $40 bottle of maple syrup. Well, it's because everything is a Canadian person. That was an uh, $8 and maybe 70 cents. Per beer? Per bottle, yeah. Oh my God. See, Herb Jones, uh, Doc is spoiling us here today. Listen, I was just going to make an idea that it's like the kind of maple syrup that a Canadian, every time you drop it on a waffle, a Canadian man comes up and kisses you on the mouth. Listen, brother, you're only going to get today once. I like that. I like so, that. So remember the fucking that. beer that you like. Our official stance here on Nothing Good is you're only going to get today once. Yeah. So Why the, the fuck are you, you listening like. to this? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but since you're here, allow me to just give you my wisdom, which is fuck you. <laughs> Unless you're Kevin Ash or Mick Foley or my mom. If you're Kevin Ash or Mick Foley, you can call my mom. But if you're not, fuck you. <laughs> wait, wait, your mom has a thing for Mick Foley? Who wouldn't? I, I mean, don't know. I, I mean... Some people, I'm sure. Doesn't everyone have a His small wife thing is a for, model. for that? He's a model, so, I mean, yeah. obviously he... Yeah, uh, Mick way out kicked this coverage. And My man swung up so hard. He punched him. way out of his you know weight what? class. With what but he's, God bless him for that, and I'm a big fan, by the way. With what he's given for everybody, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, even before the late 90s in the WWF, even taking away Japan... Mm-hmm. Looking at that man's early WCW run, mm-hmm. what he gave for something as trivial as pro wrestling, mm-hmm. he deserves it. Mm. Right? I, I would I would say now knowing what he has given of himself, future on if you found out that every time uh that he came, uh ten percent of that could be used to cure cure childhood <laughs> cancer. Like St. Jude's would ask that he jerk off into a vial. I'm like, you know what? That'd be awful for anybody else but what McFoley has put himself through. I'm gonna cut all of this. <laughs> I'm thinking so. There's no way this is making the fucking. This time. is not right? making air. Like this is not, not making air. No, like, Jesus no. Christ. Somewhere around, come and say shoot. come. I went, huh? This is where we're going, huh? Somewhere around St. Jude's. I honestly tuned right out of my brain. <laughs> I was like watching myself go, no, this isn't making My air. mouth kept moving no. and my mind went dead. Okay. So I guess I guess we're just gonna have to take it at WrestleMania 13. Because mm-hmm. we're gonna keep going. <clears throat> so WrestleMania 13, Chicago, Illinois, the Rosemont Horizon. Yes infamously known as one of the greatest wrestling towns of all time, if not the greatest wrestling town of all time, right? right. Who gives a shit? What no else one, happens no in one WrestleMania does. 13? Fuck you, it doesn't matter. No, because all that mattered was Bret Hart and Steve Austin yes. in a submission match. That's literally... Look, there are some pay-per-views that exist that were pretty damn good. Yeah. There are some pay-per-views that exist that were fucking terrible. Yes. And there are some pay-per-views where it didn't goddamn matter because the one particular match was the single best match. The whole should have closed the fucking show and it didn't. It's a damn travesty like WrestleMania 13 and Bret Hart yes. and Steve Austin. Because that match, well, although I feel their Survivor Series match was better 
in a different way because it was a classic match. It was a, it was a straight I mean, up. If you're war- talking about a wrestling match without any bells or just, whistles, just it was just a better match it's, to me. It, it, it's up. It didn't tell as good a story. Flair Steamboat, yeah. Like right, so yeah. WrestleMania 13 told a better story for sure, and it was so pivotal and so important. But I enjoy their first match way more. But either way, I digress. WrestleMania 13, mm-hmm. Ken Shamrock's the special guest referee. World's most dangerous man UFC. He legitimately do would murder somebody if he could. Yeah, back probably especially has. back then. I'm sure he can still now. Actually, yeah. oh for sure. Um, but there's God, there's so much. There's so much. Look, Bret Hart and Steve Austin. For a such a sh- really short-lived feud, if you really think about it in the grand scheme of things, compared to Bret and Austin, yeah. or Bret and Austin, uh, Rock and Austin, Rock and Triple H, Orton and Cena, uh, you know, Savage and Flair, which transcended two different fucking promotions, right? Mm-hmm. And the grand scheme was a short-lived feud, but it yeah. burned hot. Oh, yeah. Look... Bret Hart was tormented by Steve Austin. Oh, God, yeah. Remember when Bret was injured and then, like, Steve, like, went to the fucking ambulance and started beating him up in the fucking stretcher? I mean, yeah, we're, that's actually after. Was that after? That's after this. But, was yeah, it but, really? but we're, we're not there. But uh, before before we even sink our teeth into okay. well, talk what about the match. match begins, yes. before we do, point blank question to ask you. Yeah. All context included. Okay. Is this the greatest wrestling match ever? Ever? Could it be? Could it be in the conversation of the greatest wrestling match ever? Now, let me just hop in here, and I'm only going to say this one extra sentence to just kind of let it settle in there. Okay. When you think about what a match accomplishes, the story it tells, mm-hmm. what it begins, who, who, who comes in one way and leaves another way, and what it's supposed to accomplish... Does this match not absolutely do all of that and perhaps better than any match ever has? If you look at it through that lens, potentially. I, I, so many matches that were I'll take amazing. potentially. I'll take it now. I just want to say as, as far as because uh, old-timer wrestlers, and we listen to, to a lot. You and I both listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts. Yeah, and we watch really a lot of shoot thing. interviews. And everyone's, it's about the stories you tell in the ring. It's mm-hmm. about the stories. Or you have everybody else do their own thing, and, this, uh, and they say the wrestling's all about telling a story in the ring. And when they, they, they decry the younger generation, it's because they don't tell stories in the ring or whatever they mm-hmm. are supposed to do. But when you think about if the entire concept of a wrestling match is to tell a story, what match tells a better story than this match? That's not even the goddamn reason we're having this podcast. <laughs> you yeah. know what? Put a pin in it. We'll let that one. We'll, we'll let that one float out into the aether. Yeah. Is yeah. WrestleMania 13 the greatest wrestling match of all time? We'll talk about it some other time. But why don't you give us a, a, a cliff down? Listen, if it's not the best ever, it's 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 pretty much the best WrestleMania match ever. I mean, yeah. And and yeah. it's weird because I I like a lot of good doesn't really good there's WrestleMania some really, matches. There's some excellent matches, matches, but like yeah. really though, when I think about WrestleMania, when I think about WrestleMania and a big fight situation, as and uh, and honestly, some fans it's like oh it's about the pageantry, it's about the title, it's about a title, it's about no to me to me as a fan as a fan it is about the story, it's about the journey, and then it's about the payoff. And to that end, that match getting and switching to people <laughs> giving getting one guy who spent the better part of 10 plus years as a good guy as a baby face as 
you know, the flagship bearer of a, of a promotion working his way up to the tag team intercontinental heavyweight ranks, being the good guy who fought for what was right for every man. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm leaving that alone. Keep yeah, going now. Please do. Uh, to the outlaw who flipped people off, who didn't take, you know, didn't didn't take any prisoners in Steve Austin to go in as a still a, a bad guy technically a full on bad guy until yeah until the match ended and he was now a good guy I don't think I've ever really seen that happen before no before I, that point I don't and I, I to this day it's been kind of pulled off into an effect not on purpose most of the time at most of the time. <coughs> That you see th- what happened at WrestleMania 13 happen, it was not done on purpose. And I think why this could get the label, could, 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 could get the label as the yeah. greatest wrestling match of all time is because this was done on purpose. Mm-hmm. And this was absolutely masterfully designed by not just the two performers in the ring, but all of the powers that be with the idea that potentially this could work perfectly. And a lot of times you see matches go well, and you're like, oh, perfectly. Like, and one of the other great WrestleMania matches, I think we regard as Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, right? Uh, WrestleMania 25. Yes. And that's yes. an excellent oh, match. Oh, man, so good. It's excellent Which match. I saw live, which was an experience. I mean, yeah, and it's and it's, and it's magical, and it's great wrestling, right? Yes. Yes. But here you are with the story. The Undertaker on the street, Shawn Michaels is the defiant, badass, classic wrestler. Maybe he has The Undertaker's number. Can he do it? Yeah. And the answer is no. Right, no. and but that's that's the story you're telling. Can he do it? Almost, and 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 I'm being I'm taking away some of the nuance, but in a best case scenario, that match works as well as it did. Right. In a worst case scenario, the match falls for it, but it's still Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker. They went for something in WrestleMania 13, and the only real assurance that they had that this would work was the quality of the people involved. Right. Right? right? You had Bret Hart and you had Steve Austin and you had a legitimate, internationally known badass yes. whose only job was to call this thing in down the middle. And make right? sure no no bullshit. No bullshit. And he wasn't frail like a little referee. No. I mean, this guy, there was no ref bump. And here's the thing. When's the last time a major match happened there was no goddamn ref bump? Right? Like, And this thing happens and, and the magic that can only ever really happen in pro wrestling... You take, when the bell rings, Bret Hart is the number one or number two good guy in the company. Right. And Steve Austin is the number one or number two bad guy in the company. Who was who was the number I mean, one bad guy? Technically Sid. Because yeah. he was WWF champion yeah. about five seconds yeah. after this and then never again. He's a story for another time of like just wasted opportunity. We, we, will, we will babble for 23 whole minutes about Sid and it'll mostly be whinging. But regardless, at the start of the bell, Brett's great and Steve Austin can suck a dick. And then when the bell rings, by God, Steve Austin is practically made of gold. And everyone in that building and watching at home, watching at home goes, my God, that guy is badass. Yeah. Like, oh, and Bret Hart is ruthless. Not a piece of shit. And that's what's important to me. And this is and this is what's important for the for the rest of the story because I feel like Bret had a chance to be a piece of shit right there. But he wasn't. Because Bret was ruthless. 
And that's what made him a heel, is that he would do whatever it took to beat Austin, and that's what mm-hmm. he did. And that's the theme going on. Is that really, was that a dastardly thing to do? Austin pushed him. He kept pushing he him. He did. He kept dogging him. He, it, he Brett, screwed him out of the title. Brett didn't put orphans on a train track and twiddle his mustache going, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he just... Some somebody just kept talking enough shit and yapping and yapping and yapping and Brett not only put him down but put him down real good. You know, to- it, it, you want to talk about you know that match and how in mean, its importance on professional wrestling. How iconic is the image of of, of Austin bleeding from the head? It's what, blood it's, gushing from his skull from his face. It's the it's the moment they made him. I think I think uh, uh, you can say Austin three sixteen was the sound bite. That made him, but the visualization—that visual stayed with me. That's what made him. It was so it's, cool. To the state stays with you. I've yeah. never seen it. I mean, look, I've watched ECW. I've watched. I, I, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, um, and I, <laughs> I remember. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this out here, right? So, if my sister ever listens to this, she'll get a chuckle out of this. <laughs> so, when I was a kid, I was a big wrestling fan, obviously, and like a huge wrestling fan, and I studied it, and I watched. I had the WrestleMania twelve, uh, WrestleMania one to twelve box set on VHS. I've seen this. He does have it. Yeah. Uh, and I would watch. I, this is no lie. I would. I because I, I I I had this in my head. Like I may never be able to become a professional wrestler. I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna ever get tall enough or big enough. But if maybe I can become a commentator, I can do something in it. And I would study. I would watch every day. I'd watch a different WrestleMania in the evening. I would sit and I'd study the matches. I would watch like the nuance. And I was so. In- interested in why and what they were doing i had posters of like japanese wrestling and cactus jack bloody busted up people all over my walls my parents let me do it um i remember one day and in the mind of a child being a teenager being insecure and being easily manipulated by an older sister who could just punk you out pretty hard ah yeah I had no problem. No one had a problem. I, you know, I, well, girlfriends would come over and hang out. You know, I had all these wrestlers all over my wall, like you know, just people getting hit with chairs. And and she just walks in one day. So my sister's like four years older than me, right? So she walks in one day. Yeah. She just walks into my room, just looks around. We're just talking, and she just goes, you "Got a bunch of half naked dudes on your wall, just so you know." It just walks away. <laughs> and I sat there, and I went, "I mean, she's right, but." the wrestlers though but she did it and i will openly admit that i was ignorant enough as a kid to go well damn it so i tore them all down and i shouldn't have let her do that no but shouldn't have but people people get in yeah on that i mean we will have we'll have to to table this because we're gonna have a whole conversation about coming of age not only as a wrestling fan but as a as from a teenager to puberty to Young man, yeah, during the attitude yeah. era, but um, like, like, who you got to cover that shit, right? Exactly, like, but yeah, but to the point is, like, I was a huge fan, huge fan, and uh, and I really appreciated what they what these wrestlers were doing on a, on a, on a grand scale, but to watch, like, to watch Steve Austin bleed out like that, yeah. to not tap out, to just pass out from the pain, that image solidified him. As a guy, not just some guy, as a guy. Like, he's a kind of a big deal. Oh, he'll never quit. Yeah. Because for Bret Hart to then not like want to let go of the sharpshooter, mm. you know, Ken Shamrock, you know, like, no, you got to stop, you got to stop. And then Bret's like, nah, I ain't done with him. After everything he's done, I ain't done with him yet. No, uh, 
how many times you watch a movie where your your good guy has enough and pounds their, your villain, and then after the villain is down, the good guy keeps going. I mean, even in the movie A Fucking Christmas Story, you have your baby face tackle the big bully and pounds on him, yeah, but yeah, pounds yeah. on him to the point where you're like, is he going too far? Yeah, he's right? calling uncle. He's done. It's yeah. over. And then, and, but he keeps going, and that changes your opinions of the baby face. And maybe, maybe things, and it always happens. It, the narrative that happens right after that moment is always what drives a film to see is that person still the protagonist or have they shifted? But I think that's, I think any person can understand and respect to a certain point what Brett was going through. And now, this loudmouth piece of shit that's been dogging him for nine months and cost him the Royal Rumble. Mm hmm. And he's been a thorn in his side, and he's been going through all this stuff, and now he's done. And you could do whatever you want to with him, so he just he just he lets it all out. It's not that moment, which is amazing, right? No, and which not what did it? No, nope. no, and it makes Ken Shamrock, by the way, just the belly that, that, that lift belt, off and throws him over, belly to back. No bump, no necessary there, uh, like from Ken. But he stands up, and you're like, oh man, that, that dude's badass. That dude's made. He's a made man. But it's it's how Brett goes. After that, and it's almost like the the um, the absolute snap. Mm-hmm. It's like so- something breaks in Bret Hart, and and you go from and that's the great, truly great fall from grace as far as a character goes. As you go from something relatable, even justifiable yeah. and understandable, oh, yeah. to what the fuck are you doing? And then and then have him give him the belly to back, and then. As opposed, and 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 Shannon's like, "Come on, let's go, let's do it, let's let's do." It. And Brett backs off like a that's heel. it, that's right there. Yeah, he backs off. He's like, whatever, and he he leaves. That's a heel, and yeah. in that moment, mm-hmm. Austin is now sympathetic. And Austin, matter of fact, they're trying to carry him out, and he don't want to be carried out. No, and that's the other thing too. We always forget about in history is that Brett Brett is not a heel until the moment that he backs away from Shamrock, which Brett Hart three months ago would not have done. He would have gone toe-to-toe with Shamrock. Yeah. But Austin, who three months ago would have gladly had a thousand people carry him out and feather him off with, with, with palm leaves, that doesn't he doesn't want to be carried. He's, Did he stun somebody like trying to be carried out or something? I can't remember at that point. All I remember is Austin refusing to be carried yeah. out. And he walks to the back with the blood coming front and back, and he goes through the entranceway where the broken glass was. And the crowd the just hand. appreciated the moxie. Not a single person... Sat down from that whole last finish, and when when you go down, not and this is one of those things you don't really get too much anymore because the whole entrance way is a sixty-five foot giant screen. But back when the people were around the entrance way, the people as Austin moves his way back to the entrance way, and you saw it at WrestleMania twelve when Brett was like, "What do you mean overtime?" Yeah, but the people all around the entrance way were standing. And they weren't looking up at a screen. They weren't looking at a phone or a program. They were looking at Austin. And they were watching that motherfucker tell a story mm-hmm. as he walked to the back. Even that little tiny thing as someone is walking to the back and you're just like, ah! like that's Staples really good at that sort of thing. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, w- one day we will talk. There, there's a little a small... And honestly, now that we're having this conversation, we should have an episode just about Brett and, and Austin and their, their few because there was layers to this. Um, yeah, and we're going to have we, to. We're, and the things we're going to touch on so much of it with this because it's weird. To get to Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, you got to go through Austin and yeah. Bret Hart. Right? So, so what we're going to have to do 
in the interest of fairness and time. Because I don't want our one listener to be here for four and a half hours. That we're going to have to start. You know what? We will put as much of a pin into Austin and Bret Hart for a later episode as we can. Yeah. But right now. That's such a good topic. But right now. We have to go to the summer of 1997. Which directly sets up. To remind our dear listener that we're talking about the Montreal Screwdrop. Yeah. So, the summer of 1997 begins. And to just basically put it into as short a context as we can. Because we have a lot to get onto on the back end of this. Bret Hart basically decides that because Steve Austin is the way he is. And, and people booed him for doing what he did. And cheered Steve Austin for essentially getting beat up. Right, that that's not how he was raised. That's not the Canadian way. But that is basically indicative of what's wrong with the American fans mm-hmm. in the United States of America uh, and in pro wrestling. So it's his problem doesn't seem to be with all the fans because the people that love Brett, you're not my problem. But the people that cheer for Steve Austin, you are my problem. You are the problem, and that problem seems to be largely American based. Mm-hmm. Mm. 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 And he has, he strikes a nerve of that. He strikes a real big nerve of that. Listen, Americans love love America. <laughs> yeah. And you start shit talking. Even if you agree, you still got to get pissed about it. No, you have to. You're literally like, oh yeah, you're right. We suck. Don't but say you know that what? Though. But you but you can't. And, and, and but here's the thing: if Brett was American, <laughs> it wouldn't have been a big deal. But the motherfuckers from Canada. Oh yeah. That's the problem. Canada. I don't know how you feel about Canada in general. And let's take a sidebar. They're beetle and flapping heads. Yes. Uh, oh, I bet. I, I, <laughs> but I kind of feel like Canada, for most people who don't really pay attention to Canada's existence, it's like the rich part of town that nobody really, like they have their own grocery store. They have their own gas station. <laughs> they have their own oldies. They have, they have their own, it's not even an Aldi. It's, it's like. It's a Whole Foods. It's, it's a Whole Foods, right? Yeah. yeah. The fresh market is their version of Aldi, mm-hmm. right? They have a uh, full service gas or something, but you just basically don't you ignore because that's not you, and you don't go over there and you don't deal with those kind of hoity-toity problems. It's not that. So, so most people in the United States go, oh well, Canada. Canada generally is probably if you took Alabama and you just made it cold all the time, that's probably that's probably closer to what Canada is. Maybe with a, with a, with a whole bunch of French accents. Uh, allow me to say. To our French Canadian people, fuck you, <laughs> Jesus Christ! I was gonna say I apologize. He doesn't really mean that, but he just he threw that out. Yeah, I, yeah. I just put now, out there. Toronto all, is awesome. By oh, the way, Toronto is a great city. Oh my god! So when we say, when I whenever we speak any kind of derogatory way towards Canada, you don't mean which, Toronto, which I'm not trying to do. Uh, we certainly don't mean Toronto, and we don't mean the fine people of Niagara Falls, and we don't mean the fine people of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Mm, yes. But the rest of Canada, you know what you've done. All right? I'm not going to say it, but you know what you've We're done. We're not going to put that on the internet. No. But so what this starts yeah. is a Bret Hart pro-Canada, anti-American program. And that starts almost immediately after WrestleMania. Excuse me. And he, re- he reunites with his brothers. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. And his family. And the Hart Foundation, which we really should be doing a separate episode. Hey, but they, they right? The more you talk about it. Full swing as one of the great heel factions in wrestling history. 
And on the other side of that is the newly minted babyface Stone Cold Steve Austin, the newly debuting Ken Shamrock, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other American wrestlers. Yeah, Road Warriors. Road Warriors, Goldust. Va- I think Vader may or may not have Vader been. Vader in and out. Yeah. I mean, I think there was like a whole, there's, there, there was a little bit of uh, Vader, Sid, and, and mm. they were hurt, and someone was let go, etc. Uh, but, and this time, Bret Hart is really heating up as a heel. And um, Steve Austin is really heating up as a babyface. But out there in the aether, out there in the, the stratosphere, mm-hmm. after losing his smile, I was gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. is Shawn Michaels. The smile may, be, may or may not be coming back. Now keep in mind, we're going into the summer. We're in June, around there. Canadian Stampede, one of the greatest pay-per-views ever is July. And so we are three, four, five months away from him losing his smile. And before that, he had just won the, the WWF Championship in front of his hometown. But knowing that Bret Hart was on the horizon, Shawn Michaels decides not to possibly do business. And But he's there. and He's still around. And what happens at this time is that Shawn Michaels being the antithesis to Bret Hart in almost every possible way. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bret is a grounded, serious person who shows bouts of anger, but really is generally reserved in most of the time. Shawn Michaels is flamboyant and shows bouts of anger all the time and then shows moments of reservation. And he becomes the antagonist to Bret Hart, who in one place is a huge villain and in the other place is a huge babyface. And what this leads to is Shawn Michaels joining, joining forces with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Yeah. At the exact same time that we're starting to talk about the Hart Foundation, one must say that in this summer, we're talking about the origins of D-Generation X as well. Do you remember the the Raw where that actually really happened? That particular one with uh, with um, Sergeant Slaughter, right? Or no? The match where it really happened. With the... What was that? Was that the one where they uh, where they crisscrossed for the European? Th- oh, no, that was that was pre. That was pre. No. Yeah. So yeah. I'm talking, and again, recording all these raws. I, <clears throat> I don't remember the story. I couldn't tell you anymore, but I remember the match, Undertaker and Mankind. Am I striking a, a chord here? Yeah. Yep. Versus Sean and Triple H. Before that, this is like the one of those weird, like, you're feuding with him, you're feuding with him, you're feuding with him, you're feuding with him, so this let's was, make a tag team This match. was summer, this was uh, on the, the post, because King of the Ring 97 final was Triple H and Mankind right. against each other. And then SummerSlam, the opening match on SummerSlam 97, which we'll touch on again in a second, was Triple H and Mankind in the cage. So, that match on Monday Night Raw... Uh, was a really interesting match because at the end of it, it it saw Hunter and Sean beating the living shit out of Mankind Undertaker with chairs. Just beating them down. Bloodied, I want to say they bloodied Undertaker with the chair. Yeah. And that was the first real time that they weren't called Degeneration X or anything like that. Not yet. Brett t- coined that degenerate term. I don't know if that was him or creative or what, but that was the first real time that... They were a unit. So that that yes, that I follows. believe it. I believe I'm. No, correct. I'm one hundred. You're you're jogging my memory here. So you want to percent. So basically, the idea of Bret Hart being screwed out of the WWF Championship pre to our, our whole WrestleMania 13 rant, right, mm-hmm. uh, comes to fruition where Bret gets a shot at the WWF Championship against the Undertaker, who won at WrestleMania mm-hmm. uh, in SummerSlam, August 1997, three months before Montreal. 
And it's going to be one-on-one Brett versus The Undertaker. And the special referee for that match is Shawn Michaels. Now, this is Shawn getting back in. Now he's come back and forth. And, and King of the Ring was he and Austin were tag champions. But he really, and, and, and don't leave it to Shawn Michaels to hitch himself to a good ride. He immediately gravitates to newly babyface Steve Austin mm-hmm. and tries to make himself edgy as well. And then, you know, you get your guys coming back and forth. But the whole crux of this Survivor Series 97 match, SummerSlam 97 match, excuse me, is that Bret Hart will challenge the champion Undertaker for the title. If Bret Hart loses, he will never wrestle in the dub- in the United States mm, ever that's again. That's right. But Shawn Michaels has to call this match down the middle or to. Shawn Michaels could never wrestle in the United States again. So that was the idea. So you set up the Undertaker, the Phenom, this big, powerful, mystical powers, maybe, maybe not, against the greatest technical wrestler at that time with the most problematic special referee <laughs> That's in a good way to put it. It was an amazing main event and the finish, if I may just kind of say here, just kind of set up what you're saying here, is that Brett, uh, Shawn Michaels gets nudged and Brett goes outside and grabs a chair and is going to and starts giving his little rib shots to the Undertaker's leg to send him up for the sharpshooter. And Undertaker kicks him off and the chair goes down. And Shawn Michaels picks up the chair and starts looking at Brett Hart as if, did you use this? And Brett, knowing that if Shawn Michaels, all he has to do in that moment in that heel character, mm-hmm. he doesn't care about the championship. He just knows that if, Brett, if Shawn Michaels takes a shot at him, Shawn Michaels is gone. Thorn out of his side mm-hmm. for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this moment, Brett is John, and John was Shawn Michaels, and Shawn Michaels is trying to be the quote-unquote bigger man. And then Brett fucking straight up spits in his face. It, it was the most Canadian loogie I've ever seen. It like gets in his eyebrow and it all over like his face. It was like he spat in his face. And Shawn Michaels, with all the muster that he can... Can't handle it anymore, and he he just he almost like gallops into it and swings <laughs> that goddamn chair of Bret Hart. Unfortunately for him and all the American wrestling fans, Bret Hart ducks, and who's standing right there behind him? But the Undertaker. Now, can we for a second? And every time I watch that clip, knowing what I know now that happened between them, because mm-hmm. Bret and Sean really didn't like. We have. Can we talk about? We haven't even touched the fact a- that after this. After this, keep going. Keep the, the, it. Just drop it. Keep going. Trust me. We're there. We're there. But hold on one second. Right. The, really didn't like him. The fact that he didn't, <clears throat> you have to think, if I'm Bret Hart, knowing what I know, ex- feeling what I feel, that loogie has got to be the most emphatic fucking loogie you will ever spit. Oh my God. With the exception of maybe Advance. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. And at that point, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have wanted to spit it at Vince that way. He would. He is what he I mean. Would. Like maybe with Spoiler, the exception of he that would. one. But I mean, it's almost like like you get a chance. You, we're all real people. Most real people don't have arch nemesis. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Yeah, right. <laughs> no one has you like don't work arch. Where I work. <laughs> fucking arch nemesis. You don't nemesis. know my road. But uh, but to know that you have one, and now <laughs> you're being told by your boss to spit in your arch nemesis face. But here here's a moment about Bret Hart, and I don't know if this was accidental when he went for the money, 
or was that just that much of a professional, but he sprays that spit in such a photogenic way. So it, and it, I saw it was like a meteor. It was, it, but it never touches his eyes all around there. No, it gets him here. Yeah. Right, like, right on the lip. Right, right there. Chin. Right. Like it's like a straight line down. But anyway, before we get to the actual animosity, mm. Shawn Michaels swings the chair. Brett Ducks hits Undertaker in the head. And now Bret Hart covers the Undertaker and Shawn Michaels in storyline, has to make the cover or he'll never work again, except in filthy Canada. And he counts the three. And now the great Bret Hart's greatest rival just handed him the WWF championship. For the fifth time, World Heavyweight Champion. Which was the which was the most tied yeah, Hulk Hogan. With the at exception that time. Of, yeah, Hogan. Yeah, yeah. Tied Hogan at that time. So now we're off into the races. Now before we get I feel like we should we should take ourselves up the Survivor Series here before we talk about the actual animosity and where this goes. So, Bret Hart is now WWF champion. And he goes and he fights the Patriot. Who gives a shit? They go to a whole thing. It doesn't really matter. Rest in peace, by the way. Yes, Patriot Del Wilkes, we recently. love you very much. Uh, thank you for all your contributions. But the real money here is the fact that, well, wouldn't you know it, The Undertaker fucking blames Shawn Michaels for losing the yes. title. Wouldn't, why wouldn't he? Yeah. I think it's Which fair. led to the aforementioned match of The Undertaker and Mankind heated rivals up to Shawn Michaels yes. and Triple H who had no real business with each other and the actual birth of Degeneration mm-hmm. X and leading up into the eventual add-on of Rick Rude because yes. Triple H, China, China was already was with Triple H at that point. So, But this all gears up to another contender for the greatest wrestling match ever. The first Hell in a Cell match. Mm. And that was really good. It's incredible. <laughs> it's, it's really good. good. You know, like, uh, there's a lot of arbitrary, and as wrestling fans, there's a lot of arbitrary rating systems that people go out there. Four stars, five stars. There are very few matches that I ever say, yeah, I agree with whatever anybody says about that. Very, very rarely. That Hell in a Cell match is one of them. Like, if you said 10 matches, name 10 great matches that you could watch again for the rest of your life before you died and you had a gun in my head, I would absolutely say that Hell in a Cell match before I ran out of shit to say. Mm. It is so good. Please watch that match. Yes, please watch it. Watch the Bret Hart promo after WrestleMania, uh, after Fatal 4-Way in 97 and watch the first Hell in a Cell you match. You know, if you don't, Santa Claus is going to shit in your stocking. Yes. <laughs> your father knows what you've done. Santa Claus Santa will come more too. and drop a serious deuce in your stocking because Santa- you did not oh, watch man. that promo. Uh, and Santa eats, does not have a lot of fiber. He does not eat a lot of fiber, folks. So please, please. And also to our one listener who's picturing Santa right now, dropping trowel and squeezing out a Cleveland steamer into a hot stocking. Let me say this. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> ah. Okay, I'm not cutting that. I'm telling you, I'm leaving that in there. I know you're not. No, I'm 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 leaving milky poop Santa Claus stockings in here because now we have arrived. We've got the SummerSlam set up now. Now, one last thing: the first Hell in a Cell match, October 1997, barely a month before the entire reason we're here, uh, an hour and a half into this podcast, the winner of this match gets to wrestle Bret Hart. In Canada mm-hmm. for the WWF Championship, and thanks to the debut of Kane, will you do the? It's gotta be what? Yeah. It's gonna be Kane. Yeah, it's gonna be Kane. Yeah. That's gonna get me through the next week. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I think wait, yeah. right there is a perfect chance to kind of put a pin in this right now. Right now, and let's 
end this episode here. I know we haven't quite gotten to the screw job yet. We're running a little long, aren't we? We are, but let's let's okay. put a pin in that and let's end this episode and let's pick it up next week. Okay. With the Montreal screw job part two, screw jobbier. I don't know if it get any more screw jobbier than it already got. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll goes on there so I, I we covered a lot of ground today yeah right? yeah and mm-hmm. i i'm really enjoying this at, at just, just diving into all the little nooks and crannies to be fair you know i didn't expect to go this long but i'm really glad that it is and you're you know you're stirring a lot of my memory stuff that i totally forgot about so this has been awesome i'm looking forward to finishing it up we could spend literal months and years <laughs> talking years. about 96 <laughs> and 97 as far as wrestling it was and a culture fascinating and time to be a wrestling fan and i and i'm i'm truly glad that we were able to be alive and be Absolutely. old enough to appreciate to experience it remember it because kids now they will never know they can look it's, back watch wwe network yeah. youtube videos but they will never experience that that time it was magical oh, it, it was it was and we're gonna kick the magic going more next week with the second part yeah, of Montreal sure. screw job for sure all right stick with us we'll be back next week we'll actually get to the screw job this we'll, time wait we'll, we'll we'll get there we'll get there and it will be absolutely wonderful uh so you ready for it i'm ready man all right we'll see you guys next time thanks all for right. hanging out all right later nothing good nothing good <laughs>